Well, hey, everybody. I want to welcome everybody who's joining us at all of our campuses today, man. We're glad to have you here. Uh, those of you who are watching with us uh, on the live stream somewhere around the world, military folk, missionary folk, man, we're glad to have you all with us as well. Uh, and I hope Thanksgiving was as good for you as it was for the Huxford family. A lot of turkey went in the ministry over the Thanksgiving holiday. Can I just tell you? <laughs> it did. And I just want to tell you one thing I'm really, really thankful for. I am thankful for you. Man, I've been able to visit with so many you know, of us on all of our campuses, almost. I've got two campuses to go. I've been going and doing these information meetings about our Christmas offering. And I've just, I just feel like it's such an honor you know, to get to serve with such noble, gutsy people like you. And I love you, and I just thank God for you. All right, now let me just also say, we're getting ready to launch a new series of messages today. And it's kind of a Christmas on location uh, idea. Man, we're going to take the next few weeks to explore the actual locations associated with the birth of Jesus. Because friends, the Christmas story is not about theology, it's about history. These events actually happened in a specific location at a specific time in history. And last May, Sarah and I took a large group of Compassion Christians so that they could, you know, like the shepherd said, let's come and see, you know, what happened here in the actual places where it did happen. And you're going to get to see some of those locations in this series. Now, I also love the fact that we're launching this series at the same time that we're launching the Journey to Bethlehem, which is a, just a great interactive Christmas experience here at our Henderson campus. Uh, for the next three weekends, I hope you'll invite all your friends so that we can just welcome thousands of guests to our house, to our Father's house, so that we can help them the amazing history-changing story of Christmas. And if you're a Compassion Christian, I want to encourage you to come the first weekend. It starts Friday night. You come the first weekend because here's what's going to happen. If you come, it's going to light you up and you're going to think about about 10 different people that you need to invite and bring back over the next two weekends. And only God knows how he will use that. And so, man, get in the game with us. It's going to be awesome. Now, open your Bible with me to Luke chapter one. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 26. This is where the Christmas story begins. If you are using one of our blue Bibles that we got in all of our worship centers, it's on page 855. We're going to dig into the beginning of the Christmas story as it happened in Mary's home in Nazareth. And I just want to remind you that if you want to take notes on this message, the complete note sheet uh, is on our Compassion Christian app. And you can just open it up, go to the note tab, which is right on the front page. Uh, it'll give you detailed notes on the whole message. And that way you can take notes during the message and then email them to yourself and you'll be a tech nerd just like me. All right. So anyway, while you're getting set, let me take you to the very city where the angel Gabriel invited Mary to be the mother of Jesus and bring God in human flesh into our world in a human body. So let's just go there. Here we go. Hey, we're here in Nazareth today where the Annunciation of the birth of Jesus took place. Now, Annunciation is just that theological term that means the angel announced to Mary that she was going to become pregnant, though she'd never been physically intimate with anybody. And that baby was going to be born the Son of God. So the baby would be both God and man, no human father, uh, but a human mom. And so Jesus would come into the world without a sin nature like all the rest of us have, but also in a human body so he could understand all the frailty and all the temptation that, that we would ever have. But that announcement took place in just a simple little place like this. Mary and Joseph were not wealthy people. Uh, they did not come from a wealthy town. Probably Nazareth back in Jesus' day had 150 people in it, so it's a small little village. 
Mary was just a young girl there. Joseph had begun his career as a carpenter here and a stonemason and, and basically a construction worker. And so Joseph and Mary had been betrothed to be married when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a child. It's going to be because of the Holy Spirit. You're going to name, his, name him Jesus, which means he will save and he will be the savior of the world. And, you know, Mary asked, how can this be? I've never been physically intimate with anybody. And the angel said, Mary, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. This is going to be a miraculous virgin birth. And she said, may it, done to me according to, may it be done to me according to your word, which is an amazing expression of submission and willingness to do anything, anytime, anywhere for the Lord. Now, after she got that message, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, whom the angel had said was also pregnant in her old age. And man, it was just, you know, this is the Christmas story. We'll be talking about this in a few minutes. But Joseph, can you imagine if your fiance came to you and said, hey, I'm pregnant and it was God. And Joseph really struggled to believe this. He thought, I'm gonna to have to divorce this girl. That's the only honorable thing to do. And the angel Gabriel appeared to him in a place just like this. And Gabriel sorted Joseph out and said, listen, you should not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you know, when Gabriel shows up and delivers that message, Joseph was wise to accept it. And then he goes and tells Mary, look, we're gonna be okay. I'm gonna get you through this. But think about what that meant for them. There in this tiny little village, privacy is not possible. I mean, the minute she starts showing and they're not married, everybody's gonna know or everybody's gonna assume that something adulterous has happened, some sexual impurity has taken place. And you know, Joseph and Mary are gonna explain, look, an angel appeared to both of us and told us this was gonna be a miracle and God is doing something awesome. And people are just not gonna believe them. And they know that. And so Joseph and Mary have to decide in this little village, man, are we gonna put up with the taunts and the insults and the talking behind our back? Are we gonna be willing to endure because we know God has called us to do something great. And friends, this Christmas is gonna give us an opportunity to do that as well. You know, as followers of Jesus, people who want God's will for our lives, we're gonna be asked this Christmas time to love people who don't love us back, to be patient with people in malls and everywhere else who are not patient with us. Uh, we're gonna be asked to endure some things just because of the love of, love of God that resides inside of us. And you know, Mary and Joseph started it right here. They just said, look, we're in. Now that would eventually mean they would travel to Bethlehem and they would have that baby. Uh, and then they would you know, flee to Egypt to avoid the genocide that Herod the Great would launch. And then eventually they would come right back here to this little town and they would raise Jesus in this town. And as far as we know, Joseph dies in this little town. And Jesus has to kind of rise up and take over the family business and provide for his brothers and sisters and his mom until he started his ministry at 30 years of age. But it started right here when the angel gave Mary that amazing opportunity to say yes to doing something in her life for God that would change the entire world, but would cost her. And it would cost Joseph. It wasn't going to be easy. They weren't going to be here. They're heroes now but they weren't heroes then. And so they're gonna to have to decide, are we willing to do the hard thing out of love for God? And they did. And you and I are saved today because they did. And it started right here in Nazareth. Man, what an honor to be here in this place where the world began to change. 
And that is the exact spot where Angel Gabriel showed up, where the devil sent a fly to drive me crazy while I was trying to do that video. <laughs> I'm just kidding about that, except the devil sent in that fly part. That was serious. Uh, we, don't, we don't know exactly where in Nazareth Mary got the word from Gabriel, but we do know it was in a little town called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth today is a bustling city of about 70,000 people up in north, uh, the north part of Israel. Uh, there are lots of modern buildings in Nazareth today. Uh, you can also visit markets there. Uh, man, you can visit the Church of the Annunciation, uh, which is a traditional spot that many believe that Mary's house was where that church is located today. Uh, but back in the day, Nazareth was just a tiny little nowhere village, not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's probably the size of our journey site Maybe a hundred people lived in that village. What was unique about it is it's really close to a Roman military installation called Sephoris. And Sephoris was a Roman town. They built a beautiful amphitheater there. Uh, Joseph and Jesus probably worked as construction contractors in the city as they built this brand new city of Sephoris in Israel. We took a bunch of our people there uh, last May. It's interesting that Nazareth was like the little hick town close by the big military community kind of like Midway, is to Fort Stewart. And yet, in that little village, there were two amazing young people with a huge heart for God, and God just chose to use them to bring the Lord Jesus into the world. Now, you know some amazing things happen in little seemingly insignificant towns like that happened last week in Midway. At our Midway campus, five students came and gave their life to Jesus. They said Jesus, yes to Jesus for the first time, put their faith in him, were baptized into Christ last week. Anybody want to praise the Lord? Five high school students, man. Now, when I look at that picture, I just wonder what God is going to do through these students from Hinesville who met Jesus at our campus in Midway last week. Only God knows. But friends, we do know what happened in a little town called Nazareth because of a couple of amazingly uh, faithful young people and their life was amazingly good and amazingly hard because they saddled up and said yes when God called them into play. Now friends, that's how, that's how it was for Joseph and Mary and that's how it's gonna be for these five students in Hinesville. Amazingly good and amazingly hard. If your experience walking with the Lord has been amazingly good and amazingly hard, let me hear a big amen. Amazingly good, amazingly hard. Let's keep it real in here, amen? That's how it is. That's how it's gonna be for these kids. That's how it was for Joseph and Mary. That's how it's gonna be for all of us. So let's dig into the story that starts in the home of a godly young woman who lived in the village of Nazareth. And it begins with these words. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph uh, of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now y'all, I love Mary, and I really feel honored to get to tell her story tonight, because I believe that Mary is really misunderstood by a lot of people in our culture. Some people want to elevate Mary as if she were divine, or sinless, or something like that. And friends, that is just not true. Mary herself says in Luke chapter one, verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Everybody say Savior. Savior. If you're divine, you don't need a Savior. If you're sinless, you don't need a Savior. There might be people who think Mary was sinless, but she was not one of them. Man, in verse 47, she calls God her Savior. There is not a 
teaching, clear teaching in the New Testament that Mary is any different from any of the godly, pure 14, 15 year old girls who are involved in our student ministry on every one of our campuses. In addition, some people think that Mary now has some special inside role in heaven and that you can pray to Mary and she'll grab Jesus's lapel and exert some kind of inside influence on Jesus for you. And can I tell you, there is not one word in the Bible that teaches that. I think if Mary were here, she'd say, why would you pray to me when you can pray to Jesus? Jesus is the one who saved me. Jesus' death on the cross saved me of my sins. I think Mary would say he's the only one who can save you too. Mary would say what Paul said back in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man and his name is not Mary. It is the man Christ Jesus. Now, it is interesting, though, that an unknown Middle Eastern girl from a nowhere town is still so highly esteemed in every church that honors the scripture 2,000 years later. Man, I love the story about the dad who had a little boy who was just bad. He was selfish and demanding. And he caught his son writing a letter to Santa Claus around Christmas time. And he was just listing all the stuff he wanted for Christmas. And the dad said, that's enough. I'm going to have to show this boy a lesson. And so he set him down in front of a nativity scene like this. And he says, I want you, son, I want you to study this. I want you to look at this. I want you to think about the real meaning of Christmas. And I want you to write a letter to Jesus. And the father walked out and the boy started writing. And he said, dear Jesus, I have been a very good boy. And then he remembered that Jesus knows everything. And so he erased all that and he started over. Dear Jesus, if you bring me everything I want, I'll be a good boy all next year. And he knew that was a lie. So he erased that. And he said, I'll try to be a good boy all next week. And he wasn't sure he could pull that off either. So finally he looked around. Nobody was watching. He grabbed the statue of Mary, wrapped her up in a piece of cloth and said, dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, you <laughs> terrible story. All right. Friends, Mary is awesome. She is the mother of Jesus, a very special woman. But the thing that makes her so awesome is that she is just like you and me. And also just like us, she is about to cooperate with God in a way that is going to require sacrifice from her that is gonna change her world. Man, let's keep reading, look at verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at, at these words, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Angel shows up in her bedroom, I bet she was troubled. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. You're gonna be with child, you're gonna give birth to a son, and you're gonna give him the name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. How is this going to happen? First person to be skeptical about the virgin birth was Mary. How will this be? She asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, you almost hear the angel say, now, if you don't believe this, even Elizabeth, <coughs> your relative, is going to have a baby in her old age. She who has always been said to be barren is now in her sixth month because nothing is impossible with God. And Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now, wow, that, that is exactly the response that I hope every godly young woman and young man and every old woman and old man in our church will give to the Lord, no matter how audacious his request, I am the Lord's servant. Say it with me, everybody. I am the Lord's servant. Friends, Mary felt honored to be included in God's plan. 
Man, she was touched by the Holy Spirit in a very special way that would change her life. And, and listen, change our world forever. But at this point in the story, the angel leaves. And Mary is about to discover that honoring God is going to be amazingly good and amazingly hard. Say it with me, y'all. Amazingly good and amazingly hard. And that's how it is when you walk with the Lord. She's going to have to face some struggles. She's going to struggle with being misunderstood. You know, Mary was so excited to start telling people about all that had happened to her. But then she discovered that not everybody believed her story. She found out not everybody's excited about what God was calling her to do. She didn't really have any way to defend herself against the unfair attacks that were going to come because she was just going to be misunderstood. Now, track with me through this story, man, because there are going to be times in your life when you are misunderstood. And I hope we will learn to do the same thing Mary did when she was misunderstood and waiting on the promise of God to be fulfilled in her life. Now, your circumstances probably will never be as dramatic as Mary's were, but we can all learn from her example as we just persevere, as we patiently trust the Lord, waiting for his promises to come. Mary was misunderstood by Joseph. Joseph was the love of her life. Now, we're going to unpack how God reached out to Joseph next week. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, it tells us that Joseph totally misunderstood what was going on to the point that Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to just divorce her quietly. Now, there are three stages in marriage back in Mary and Joseph's day. The first was engagement. This often happened when they were little kids, uh, often when children were very young. Families back in the day thought marriage was too important to be left in the hands of amateurs. And so the families hooked him up. Can I get an amen? amen? You notice there are no young voices saying amen right there. But that's how it was back in the day. Now, betrothal was kind of when everybody said amen. Uh, this started when a couple agreed to marry. And so if your dad and mom got you betrothed when you were eight years old, and now you're 14 or 15, and it's time to start talking about marriage, if the girl didn't like the guy, she didn't have to marry him, and the betrothal's off. And if the guy didn't like the girl, he didn't have to marry her either, and it's off. But if they agree during that betrothal, man, that was just as binding as marriage back in the Jewish culture. I mean, if, if Mary's fiancé died while they were betrothed, everybody would consider her a widow. That's how strong betrothal was. And then the next level was marriage, where you have a big celebration. There's a marriage ceremony. The families get together. The couples make vows. They are officially married. And that was when the sexual intimacy started. Not on the first date, not when he started going steady, not when they got betrothed, after the wedding ceremony and they're married in the eyes of God and not until then. Now, Mary was betrothed when she had to tell Joseph, I'm pregnant and God did it. Naturally, Joseph thought, mm-hmm, I think you cheated on me and you're making up this ridiculous story because you think I'm an idiot and his heart was broken and the only thing he could see to do is get out. Now, friends, none of Joseph's worst fears were true. But he made Mary feel the pain of rejection. The one person she loved the most is questioning her integrity. And that's tough. Mary was also unmisunderstood by her parents. Now, I'm speculating here a little bit because her parents are not even mentioned in the New Testament. I mean, you know, sometimes what's not said is just as important as what is said. There's no mention of Mary running and sharing this good news with her mom and dad. There's no mention of her you know, running to her mom and dad for comfort. You know, when Joseph rejects her, 
Man, there's, you know, when the Lord straightens Joseph out, and you know they travel to Bethlehem to have the baby? There's no mention of the family all going together. There's tons of people going to Bethlehem. Doesn't mention her family at all. When she has the baby in a stable in Bethlehem, her mother, when she has her mom's grandchild, her mom is not even there. Just pretty sad. Joseph didn't believe her. Her parents didn't believe her. Certainly none of the friends in Nazareth were going to believe this crazy story. So you know what? She probably felt totally alone except for the Lord. You know, you wonder if that's why Mary just immediately goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. The angel told her, your relative Elizabeth is going to have a miracle child in her old age. And then it says in Luke 1 verse 39, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country about 50 miles away where Elizabeth lived with her husband Zechariah who was a pastor. Now you wonder if Mary just hurried off hoping that there'd be somebody finally who would understand. I mean, somebody that would believe her. Now, have you ever felt that way? You ever felt totally misunderstood? Like everybody was assuming the worst about you? I bet if you've been through a bitter divorce, you have. I bet if you've been unfairly terminated at work or involved in a complicated bankruptcy or a lawsuit or a false arrest or, or maybe you've got this crazy rebellious kid who's acting out. You know what it's like to feel misunderstood by people who don't have all the information? And that the more you try to share information, the more confused things get and everybody thinks you're defensive. And, and Mary was just misunderstood when she was completely innocent. Man, have you ever been falsely accused when you thought you were honoring God and doing the right thing? I bet some of you are planning to give a generous gift to our Christmas offering so that we can make a place at the table for our people at our downtown campus. And you have fam family members who think you're crazy because the truth is they want you to spend that money on them. Maybe you adopted a child of another race and you got people in your family who question you. Maybe when you became a Christian, you know, you were so filled with joy, you know, that your sins are forgiven and, and the hope of eternal life is now yours. And you got former friends who think you've gone off the deep end. Maybe you changed churches because you found some place here where you're spiritually challenged and you're growing in Christ and man, your life is making a difference. And your relatives talk about you, talk about you like you betrayed the family because you're finally going to a church where you're growing. They're not growing, but they condemn you because you're going to a church where you are. Dude, it's tough to be misunderstood. And Mary wasn't misunderstood by people she didn't know. She, she was misunderstood by people who knew her, people she loved, her fiance, her parents. That's tough. Which makes it even more amazing as we read through this story that even though Mary was misunderstood, man, she was patient. She persevered. You know, the Matthew uh, narrative tells us that Joseph decided to divorce Mary quietly rather than humiliate her. But then it says in Matthew 1:20, after he had considered this, now you got to love Joseph. He took a few minutes to think about this thing before he pulled the trigger. But how long did Joseph consider all of his options? How long was Mary in limbo wondering, is he going to reject me? Is he going to love me? Is he going to keep me? Is he going to cast me off? Was it days? Was it weeks? Was it months? We don't know how long it took for Joseph to get it. But even after Joseph believed her, Mary still had to live with that trash talk, had to live with those false accusations for years. Now, as I've said over and over already, Mary was a remarkable woman. I mean, just like so many of the godly women we have here at Compassion Christian. Guys, anybody here thankful for all the godly women we have at Compassion Christian? Come on, guys. I'm giving you a chance here, boys. Perk up. Wake up. Here we go. Love her. And because she was a remarkable woman, under all this pressure, she didn't collapse on a couch somewhere. 
She didn't cave into depression. She didn't try to drink her problems away. Mary actively waited for the Lord. Now, friends, the Bible teaches that the Lord will vindicate his people and the Lord will have compassion on his servants. Man, if you are honoring God and you're doing right, you may suffer for it, but the day is going to come when God will vindicate you. You don't have to always defend yourself. If you love the Lord, he will defend you. He will vindicate you. Problem is, sometimes you have to wait. You have to wait. That's why we sang that song. You know, we sing this song all the time. He's in the waiting. We have to wait for that vindication to come. Now, Mary did four things while she was waiting for God to vindicate her. And these are four things that you can do if you're waiting for the Lord to solve some issue in your life this Christmas. Number one, she served somebody else. Everybody say served. served. Look at Luke uh, chapter one, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth and Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting and the baby, everybody say baby, baby. leapt in her womb. This is not a fetus. This is not a mass in the mind of God. This is a baby. This is John the Baptist in the mind of God. Uh, Elizabeth is at the end of her second trimester. And Elizabeth was just filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. Now, man, don't you know that Mary had to think, Thank God, finally, an encouraging word. I mean, everybody else in her circle is misunderstanding and judging. And finally, there's somebody who believes in her and blesses her. And can I just say, compassion Christians, the holidays are a really strategic time to be intentionally compassionate and to intentionally speak words of encouragement because you are working with people and going to school with people and you're going to be meeting people at the journey who need, you don't even know how bad they need it. But if the Lord leads you to speak a word of encouragement, speak it because I'm telling you, people need it. The holidays have kind of a magnifying dynamic. You know, your highs always seem higher. Your lows always seem lower. You know, one of the rituals that we have at the Huxford home uh, is a way to try to leverage this is every time we get everybody together for Christmas, like we'll do after Christmas this year, uh, Lord willing, we put the kids to bed, turn off all the ball games, uh, sit in a circle, and we have everybody share their highest high and their lowest low since the last time we got together. What's the best thing happened? What's the worst thing happened since we got together last? And you know, we started doing this when our kids were in college. And I'm telling you, every time we do it, there's laughter and there are questions and there is communication and there are concerns expressed and then there are tears and hugs. And I'm telling you, something happens in our family. The conversations go deeper. The love gets warmer because we've just spent these words and then words of encouragement are going to be spoken among our sons and our daughters and our kids for months to come that will just bless, bless, bless our family. And I'm telling you, this works so well for our family. I want to recommend it to you. And here's how it works. The leader of your family just announces tonight, after the kids are in bed, let's do our highs and lows. Best things happen. Worst thing happened since we got together last time. I'm the oldest. I'll go first. And let me tell you, the older your kids get, the more they're going to love that. In verse 56, it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. I bet she did. Dude, Elizabeth's house had to feel like an oasis. I'm in an oasis of peace to Mary. Now, let me ask the women here. You're a single woman. You go to the home of a relative who is six months pregnant, and you're going to stay through the birth of the baby. What do you do during those three months? You serve, right? 
You cook meals, you do dishes, you sweep floors, you, you hold Elizabeth's hand while John the Baptist is being born. Uh, man, she helped feed that baby, change that baby. And the amazing thing is that Mary got her mind off herself and her problems by choosing to serve somebody else. And friends, if you're just anxiously waiting for God's timing this Christmas, man, don't just pace the floor or watch hours of TV or overeat to comfort yourself. Find somebody who's in worse shape than you are and serve them. Help them. Man, get your mind off yourself by serving somebody else. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever is willing to lose his life for me will save it. Now, the journey and our Christmas Eve services are an amazing opportunity to do this, especially if you're single. And if you don't have your journey job yet, dude, I want to encourage you to sign up today. Man, kickoff of the journey is Friday night. This is an amazing opportunity for our church to be an oasis of peace for people all over our region. There is a, a friend of mine sitting in this room right now who came to our church for the first time for the journey. And when she walked in this door, and I mean people reached out to her in love, the Holy Spirit did something in her heart and brought her a, a level of peace and joy. And, and now she's one of the greatest servants in our church. And I'm just telling you, she was blessed by people who were serving at Christmas time. And when Mary was hurting from misunderstanding, she didn't choose to mope, get drunk, get high, get out of town. She chose to serve. And that's one reason we admire her so much. She was just like so many of you who do exactly the same thing. But in addition to serving, when Mary was waiting on God, she sang. Now, if you look at verses 46 to 55, there is a famous song or, or kind of a praise chorus that Mary composed and then sang to the Lord at Elizabeth's house. Now, this song is made up of a number of quotes from the Old Testament that apparently Mary had memorized when she was a little girl. And so Mary just starts singing, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's thinking, man, I am a little, a little nowhere girl from a, from a nowhere town. I, I, I'm amazed that God even knows who I am, much less chooses to use me in a special way. She says, from now on, every generation is going to call me blessed. And you know what? That's, that's a prophetic word. Here we are 2,000 years later, still inspired by her, still amazed by what she did. Dude, only God can make that happen. And he did. She said, the mighty one has done great things for me. Yeah, I'm being misunderstood. Yeah, I'm taking some hits. Yeah, my heart is broken a little bit. But that doesn't change the fact that the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. You know, music is an amazing thing. I mean, I mean you know, it, it kind of speaks to the heart. Even if you can't sing very well, even if you can't play music, it still inspires us, calms us, softens our heart sometimes, revives our spirit sometimes. You know, King David, uh, when, when King Saul back in the Old Testament was depressed, he hired a shepherd boy who had a little band. This guy's name was David to come in and play the harp and soothe his troubled spirit. When Jesus was at the upper room at the Last Supper, getting ready to walk out that door up the hill to Gethsemane, knowing that he would be arrested there and on a cross before noon the next day. When he was facing the imminence of all of that, it says when he left the upper room, they sang a hymn on the way up the hill to the Garden of Gethsemane. One of the things I love about the journey to Bethlehem is it starts right in this room with music that exalts Jesus and gives everybody a chance to decompress a little bit and get their heart ready to, to think about holy things. Now, I, I know I've told you all this story before. During the journey, I think it was like 10 years ago, uh, we get a call on Monday 
saying that Sarah's mother had died. It was, a, it was like the second Monday in December. And, and man, we were just, she had Alzheimer's and, you know, we, we knew this was coming, but man, you know, you're never ready for that. And so it was kind of a hit for us. And here we are right in the middle of the journey and all that. And then the next day, we get a call that our 30-year-old nephew, Josh, who launched our ministry in Greece and was home doing graduate work at Dallas Seminary, died in his sleep. And he had been found the next morning. So, so Sarah's mom dies on Monday. We find out Josh died on Tuesday. It's right in the middle of the journey back when Sarah was leading that whole ministry for us. I got on an airplane and flew to Dallas just so I could be with Josh's mom when she saw him in the funeral home for the first time and then flew back to Savannah. And man, we're passing out jobs and trying to get the family on an airplane and flying again. Boy, God showed up. I'll tell you that story sometime. But man, God showed up. We get out to California. I got to do two funerals while we're out there. Man, we stay out there, you know, try to help get the estate, you know, sorted out. Then back home right on time for me to preach the next Saturday night. And I'm sitting on that front row, empty, grieving, physically and emotionally shocked. I'm sitting on that front row, just praying that Jesus will give me the strength to get through the message. And then our team up here started singing the Hallelujah Chorus. Y'all know the Hallelujah Chorus? Anybody know that? Amazing anthem of praise and and they just started rocking this house and he will reign forever and ever and he will reign he is in charge my life is not out of control it may look that way but God is reigning in my world and he will always reign forever and ever and they just kept singing those words from the book of Revelation over and over and I'm sitting on that front row waiting to serve and I'm telling you, man, it was like waves of peace, boom, just washed over me over and over again. And he will reign forever and ever. And it might not mean anything to you, but dude, it meant something to me. And when that song was over, I had the peace that passes all understanding. And that is what Mary is getting here. She is letting the scripture that has filled her heart just flow out of her mouth and it comforted her as she spoke the things that she believed back to God, as she's waiting on God to make things right for her. You know, sometimes all you can do as you wait for the Lord is just worship him. And sometimes that's all you need to do. In addition, though, while Mary was waiting for the Lord, she stayed put. Bro, she stayed put. Mary stays with Elizabeth through the birth of that baby because she wanted to be there to help Elizabeth and, and Zechariah, you know, have little John the Baptist and all of that. They'd helped her. She wanted to help them. But then in verse 56, it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. And then she went home. Everybody say home. home. She went home, man. Now, was that tough or easy? Think about it. She's three months pregnant. She's got that baby bump, right? And people are going to be pointing fingers and making suggestions. And, you know, 30 years later, when Jesus started his ministry, he started preaching in Nazareth where he grew up and there were still people 30 years later who were sarcastically saying, you're preaching to us. We're not illegitimate children like you are. Listen, this happened 30 years later. I mean, Mary had been putting up with that trash talk for a long time, but she stayed put in Nazareth. Now, you know, when you're misunderstood, there's a strong temptation to just run away. You know, escape, go hide, go to another city where you can get a fresh start. And you know what? Sometimes that might be the right thing to do. 
especially if you've got addictive issues and you've got a bunch of addicted friends. And if you want to get clean, you need to find some new playgrounds and some new play friends, right? But you know, running usually doesn't help because you can't run away from all your problems. You can't run away from yourself. And that's where most of your problems come from. And you certainly can't run away from God. You know, when Lee Ezel was 17 years old, she was raped. And she became pregnant because of that rape. Almost never happens, but she became pregnant. And in her book, The Missing Piece, she tells how her alcoholic mother begged her to just get out of town, leave home, come back when it's all over. But Lee was also counseled to abort her baby. And by God's grace, she had recently become a Christian. And she writes, as I desperately searched the scriptures for direction, I discovered a beautiful prayer of King David in Psalm 139. David prayed, Lord, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. And she said, based on these verses, I knew that baby I was carrying was infinitely valuable to God. And I decided that abortion was a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And she thought, surely I can just, I can find a way to go full term with this pregnancy. Even though she had not volunteered for that baby, she decided to give that baby, give birth to that baby and place that child up for adoption, which we did. And listen, that's happened in this church hundreds of times. It's awesome. The baby was adopted by just wonderful Christian parents. 20 years later, Lee had the opportunity of meeting her biological daughter. And at their first meeting, her daughter tried to lead her to Jesus. And she said, girl, you already helped me lead me to Christ 20 years ago when you were born. Now, you know, sometimes it may seem like the most difficult thing in the world to just stick it out. But I want to encourage you, don't do the escape thing. Don't run. Don't cut off contact with your friends and family. Don't drop out of your life group. Don't quit your ministry team. Don't stop coming to church. Tough it out. That's what Mary did. And when you tough it out, you'll discover who your real friends are. And you'll discover that you are maturing even through this process. And you'll discover that God's grace is sufficient for you, just like Mary did in Nazareth. And finally, friends, we see that even when she faced huge challenges, Mary stayed faithful until God blessed her. Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, and we'll see how God intervenes in Mary's situation. It says, after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the story is just the Christmas story and we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks. But Mary stayed put and she sang and she served and she stayed faithful until God blessed her. And God did bless her. And friends, Christmas for Mary was a time when there was nothing she could do to make everything right. And some of you are in that spot right now. And I've been in that spot. My dad died on December the 21st. That was a tough Christmas for us. But God was there. And the peace of God got us through as we followed Mary's example. And we waited on the Lord. You know, 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah said, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as an eagle and fly. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Let's say this all together. Y'all ready? Come on. Big voice. Come on. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as an eagle and fly. They shall run and not grow weary. 
They shall walk and not faint. And that happened for Mary in Nazareth. And it can happen for you right here. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for this reminder. The Lord, when times are tough, I mean for a good reason, because we're trying to do something good and noble and strong and right, and stuff just keeps blowing back on us. Father, help us to remember that even when times are tough, you are there. And Father, that we can trust you and you will vindicate us. And Lord, you will be our strength and you will help us to mount up with wings like eagles and run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. And some of us right here feel like fainting right now. And I just pray, God, in Jesus' name, that you will use this message to remind them that just like he knew where Mary was in that little cow town of Nazareth, he know, Lord, you know right where we are today and you know what our need is and you know where... Lord, we need your support the most. And I just pray, God, that you would give people a sense that you are here and you care, just like you did for Mary, you care for us. And I pray, God, that it'll make a difference for us, just like it did for Mary. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.